the choir continues to make, make their way down, is something we do at Antioch pretty often. Now, it doesn't do anything for the air quality, but it does do something for you so that you're awake and you're sort of relaxed as well as I get ready to preach. So, on three, I want you to do something. Now, I've got a couple of exercises at the church we do, but today I want to do the gasp, okay? Now, all of you can do this, and I'm going to show you how, so follow directions. On three, I want you to go, <sighs> okay, now... Be careful, don't be looking at a neighbor when you do it. Because whoever made that tater salad put plenty of onions in it, okay? And it was delicious. But what I want you to do is on three, just let it out. And again, that ain't going to help the air quality, but you're going to feel better and you're going to be awake and ready to go. On three, one, two, three. <sighs> don't you feel better already? All right. Well, now that I have done that to stall long enough to get my breath after that solo, isn't it good to be a part of the blood-bought, the redeemed, the church? Amen. You know, I know there are at least five churches from what I can see here represented here tonight, and that's a beautiful thing because one day there ain't going to be no walls. There's not going to be not going to be any marquees that says Theresa or Antioch or whatever the case may be. It's just going to be glory. And I've always loved revivals because it's sort of a preview to that, isn't it? You get together and you have a meal together with great fellowship. Sort of makes me think of that marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and then, and can you imagine what that food's going to be like? Y'all got some good cooks out here on this side of the county, but can you imagine how much better it's going to be in heaven? I'm figuring it's going to be sharp cheddar cheese and Krispy Kreme donuts, but I don't know. That's just my thing, but... It's going to be sweet, and that's sort of what we get a preview of. And then the fellowship before worship is so sweet. Reconnecting. I, I told several people out here, some of which I'm kin to, I said, you ain't ashamed. The only time I get to see you is when we do revival. So, Herbert, you got to invite me more often so I can see my family, will you? But uh, that being said, it's sweet to have the fellowship. Can you think about this? One day, we're going to step into glory and never going to have to go home because we're not going to get tired. Sun ain't gonna go out, there's not even gonna be one. The Lord Himself will light the gates of splendor. And we can just sit around, chew the fat, and catch up throughout eternity. There's not gonna be any bills, can I get an amen on that one? And there's not gonna be any taxes, there's not gonna be any government to complain about, and you are not gonna be doing this right here with your bulletin. Yeah, some of you poor church ladies, I don't know what you're going to do. Your hands are going to be still doing this, and there ain't going to be no reason to do it. But every time you do it, I'm just going to say, how are you? But, uh, man, just to think about that, one day, one day we, the church, the blood-bought, the redeemed, will get to spend eternity together. And better put, you can't spend it because you can't use it up. We get to enjoy eternity together. And so I love revivals for that very reason. But I'll tell you, Theresa has been on my heart for some time. I've had a great burden for Theresa ever since Herbert told me he was going to retire. Now it's no secret everybody's heard that Herbert Brown's retiring. Herbert Brown is legendary in his own mind and <laughs> and all over the world, but uh, you know what Herbert said of me could so easily be said of him. I say this so often. I have run into Herbert at almost every hospital in the area in three counties. God's honest truth, and I'm not picking on any other pastor. I'm just saying he's the one I run into. You just don't realize how blessed you are. But I was worried about that uh, when I heard that he was retiring. I mean, he's been saying it for years. I don't know if he's doing it or not. I mean, he said it the last time I preached revival. De Deborah said, "Yeah, he's retiring." Okay. It's for sure. If Deborah says it, you can count on it. But then I realized it's, it's really not that big a deal because what I recognized is what Herbert meant was the tires were getting slick on that pretty red Ford and he was going to retire it. And so I'm, I, 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 I'm, 
I'm not as worried about you right now. And that's good because you are blessed with Herbert Brown. And I say that all joking aside. For 37 and a half years, man, I was just a little pup when you started, Herbert. 37 and a half years, this man has been all over this county preaching the Word, loving on your folks and all the other folks. That's one thing I love about him. He's not going to just visit somebody that's a Theresa person. He's going to visit anybody that he knows in the hospital. That's the way it ought to be. Herbert and I had this conversation many years ago. Some pastors are real territorial. And you visited my folks? Well, look, if you visited them enough, it wouldn't look bad if I showed up. <laughs> but but me and Herbert, we, don't, we have an understanding. I love it when he visits my folks because that means they're getting doubled up on by two bald preachers that have a lot in common. But he is a visiting man. And I, I thought about that. I so, said, you know, he, he visits excessively. I mean, he doesn't just visit a lot. He visits excessively. And I was like, Herbert, you've been doing that 37 and a half years. Tell me the truth. Why? How? He said, well... He said, I really wish you wouldn't tell it in public, but the truth is, I lost my favorite set of glasses 37 years ago, and I'm going back to every room regularly to try to find my glasses. <laughs> I guess he found them because he's leaving soon, right? <laughs> Another thing I remember about your pastor is what a big old teddy bear he was. I was an 11-year-old kid at a wedding when I first met him. My dad was a photographer, as many of you know, and Herbert, you know, at that time was doing every wedding in the county. I'm like, you didn't even have to go to Theresa. He was just going to do your wedding, and then when you died, he was going to do your funeral. And it was just, it was just understood. And I met him as an 11-year-old kid, and he was twice the man he is now. Literally. I mean, he was a big old fella. I couldn't even wrap my 11-year-old arms around him. He was a great big fella. And I thought, how in the world does a man lose that much weight and keep it off? And one day he showed me, he pulled something out of his pocket, and it was a little baggy. He said, my wife makes this homemade trail mix for me. David, that's awfully good of you. It's awfully good of you. I looked at that thing. I said, I might get missing to make me some of that. And I couldn't quite figure out what was in it. So I called. I said, Deborah, how is it that you make this trail mix that helped this man lose so much weight? She said, it's just bird seed. <laughs> so I didn't share the recipe with Missy because I didn't care for no bird seed. I eat enough chicken. I'm going to turn into one anyway. I don't want to be eating no bird seed. But no, Herbert's been here a long time. Think about that, 37 and a half years of commitment and love to this community. And he can say he's going to retire all he wants to, but uh, Herbert came here when the Dead Sea was just sick. He's still going to be around. <laughs> Thank you for that one. But it is an honor. All kidding aside, you're awake now, you're laughing, you're smiling, and that's what I want you to keep doing. You are blessed. That last song, Debbie had no idea when she chose the lineup of songs that our choir would sing tonight, really what I'd be preaching. And it so happens that the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, put that one last. It's because this week, I'm not coming here to pound on you like many revivalists do. In fact, every time I've been with you, I've come and I've picked on you and I've prodded you and I have attempted at my best to offend you. Because sometimes offense is necessary and we need to get up off our laurels and do something differently because we've gotten complacent. But this week, not going to be doing that. We're going to be talking about how blessed we are and a subject that I absolutely love, but I think we're failing at, and that is genuine joy. Joy. Not going to pound on you this week. I'm going to encourage you to be joyful. Why? Because you are blessed beyond measure. Now, I don't mean materially. You may not have everything you want in your back pocket right now or in your bank accounts. 
I don't mean with things that you've got under your garage or maybe sitting out on a boat dock at the lake. I don't mean with stocks and bonds. I'm not talking about that kind of blessing. What I'm telling you is you woke up this morning, and if you know the Lord, you are eternal, and you're going to wake up every morning. And it's just going to get better and better and better. So even if things right now are awful, guess what? The best is yet to come. Do you believe that? Do you really get that? Do you know who you belong to? I think we forget sometimes. A very special person in our lives wrote a poem that has just stuck with me ever since I first heard it at a wedding. And one of those, one of the questions in that was, don't you know how loved you are? Have you ever thought about that? Don't you know how loved you are by the creator of the universe? We are blessed. And there is reason for joy. And so this week, I want to spend a lot of time smiling. And I want you to smile back. And I don't want you to just do it here for me. I want you to leave this place every night this week and go back to work, go back to your places of business, home, school, wherever it may be, with joy on your face and in your heart. Because you have a reason to be. And that's what I'm going to try to help you do this week is focus in on the things that should be bringing you joy. Because let's face it, things are tough. Life ain't easy. Even as Herbert spoke about that church, can you imagine worshiping on a Sunday morning and somebody walking in with hatred in their heart and unloading a gun in here? Can you just imagine the pandemonium that ensued there in Nashville this morning? And that sweet little lady that lost her life. But you know something? That lady now has joy beyond measure. Things are bad, but it's all a matter of focus, isn't it? Isn't it a matter of how we see things? So what I want to do this week, instead of pushing you and saying, you ought to be doing better at this, I'm just going to try to help you refocus and get some joy back because it is a huge part of our witness. If I were to title this sermon, it would simply be Daymakers or Bone Breakers. How many of you have ever had a broken bone? Any of you? Yeah. Man, I've had like 11. I think I've lost count. I've like had 11 broken bones, been shot, been stabbed, been run over, had 152 stitches, God's honest truth, and I've never been in trouble with the law, so don't even think it. (laughs) Every one of them was stupidity, I'm just saying, and mine. I mean mine. But that being said, how many of you that had broken bones like that feeling? Not at all, right? Nobody's signing up for that. Can I break your bone? Mm Mm-mm. No, because it hurts. So I want to ask you this then, by a show of hands. How would you like to be a person that's known for breaking the spirit or bones of the people around you? Raise your hand tonight. On the flip side of that, I didn't get any votes on that, by the way, just for those of you who are trying to crane around and see. How many of you on the other side of that would like to know that you are a person that once you've come in contact with someone, they are able to walk away saying, they made my day. How many of you would like to be daymakers? How many of you think you should be daily a daymaker instead of a bone breaker? All right, we're on track already. You people are all right with me. So grab your Bible seriously at this time and turn to the book of Proverbs. This is going to be a springboard message tonight just to sort of get you on the hook, get you thinking the right direction. And each night we're going to pick on one little subject that hopefully we can refocus on and bring us back to a point of joy. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 15 And verse 13 speaks to this bone breakers or day makers. So Proverbs 15, verse 13. It says this, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, 
But by sorrow of the heart is the spirit broken. Real simple. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Flip over just a couple of chapters to chapter 17 of the book of Proverbs. Again, written by Solomon. Considered the wisest man to ever live. Where did that wisdom come from? The good Lord himself. And so inspired by the Holy Spirit, he gives this thought in sort of another way. And this is chapter 17 of Proverbs, verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Pray with me, if you will. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the sweet fellowship that exists here at Theresa Baptist Church. Thank you for our friends and family across the way from us. Thank you that tonight we join together, not as a couple of churches joining together, but as the church, the blood-bought, the redeemed, by what you did on Calvary. Thank you that we have reason for joy, even in the midst of all of the hellacious things that are happening around us. Father, when we turn on the news or pick up a paper, it's downright depressing. But Lord, even in the midst of the storms, you are still God. You are still seated on the throne. You still love us, and you said that if I be for you, none can stand against you. That's reason for joy. You've told us, God, that when we breathe our last here, that to be absent from this body is to be in your presence for eternity, where there's no pain, no sorrow, no departures, no issues. Lord, how could we not be joyful? But so often, we allow the world and life, ultimately the devil, to steal from us that which was given by you and we should let nothing touch. So, Father, I beg you, speak through these simple, truthful verses to your people's hearts and to mine and help us to leave here determined to improve our witness by being a people of joy because of refocusing on what matters. I pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So let's just pick that one apart a little bit. Proverbs 17, 22. A merry heart. That word merry is sama'ak. Say that real fast. Sama'ak. Yeah, sama'ak. That's Hebrew. It sounds a little strange. But what it means is giddy and joyful. I think when I hear the word giddy, I think of little school girls. I don't know why. It just happens. But you ever heard a bunch of little girls playing on the playground? Little boys are usually throwing rocks, hitting each other, doing something crazy, and yelling, fussing, trying to be like little men. It's like a bunch of little roosters running around the playground. But little girls, it's different. They're out there until they get a certain age. Preteens, oh my goodness. Then, then the drama rolls out. But as little girls, they're out there just having fun, talking, playing, and doing what? Laughing. They seem so joyful. Life is so simple. And they're just having a good time. There's a precious little lady here tonight. Where's Leah at? Is she a... Hey, Leah. Now, look, this is about the precious, most precious thing you've ever seen. And they say she can be a little devilish. I don't believe them. But her parents sent me a video a while back when she was younger, and she was laughing. One of those belly laughs. One of those little giddy, joyful laughs. And I'm telling you, I kept it on my phone for the longest time. Don't even know how it got deleted. Send me another one. But I would just pull that out and show it to anybody that was down. I'd show it in hospitals. I'd pull it out when one of my people had been knuckleheaded and I just needed a little lift. Because she'd just start that belly laugh. It'd start down at her toes and come all the way up to the top of those little curls. And it just tickled me to death. It was giddy. It was joyful. When's the last time you laughed like that? 
You know, if something happens along the way. We go from giddy little children that know how to laugh and have joy to being way too serious. Don't we? You know why? Because the devil wants it that way. And you know, when that's the case, our witness is tarnished. And I'll prove that to you. But a merry heart, it says, a giddy, joyful heart does good like a medicine. And medicine's a good thing. It seems like doctors love throwing it at you, but uh, sometimes you just got to have it. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the only things I've ever had to deal with in life, other than all the crazy accidents, is just ear infections. I don't know why. It's just the way I was made. And I am so grateful for amoxicillin. (laughs) Ten days of that stuff, I have eaten everything in the cabinets, and I feel better. But what if the doctor prescribed that when I had an ear infection and I chose not to use it? It wouldn't do me much good. We'd save money on groceries, true, but I'd still have an ear infection and probably go deaf if I didn't treat it. Medicine's a good thing, isn't it? You can be the prescription for someone's life. Only if you have the joy that you're supposed to have, though. That giddy joy. You can be, do good to people like a medicine. And you all raised your hand and said, I realize I should. I want to be a day maker. How many times are you a bone breaker instead? Because the flip side of this verse says that even though that giddy, joyful heart can make a day, it can lift someone up, it can be a prescription for whatever they're going through, it also says a broken spirit. That down in the mouth, long face, dries the bones. And that indication in Hebrew is that it dries the bones. And what happens to dry bones? Crack. As we get older, that's what happens. A lot of the fluid content in our body goes away. It changes. We become osteoporic and things just break. And that's what it's indicating. So just ask yourself a question. Which one of those do you want to be? Let me give you a visual. You remember when you were in school, you had film strips? How many, so show your age. How many have seen a film strip? All right. All right. And then, all right. So if you haven't seen a film strip, how many of you have seen like the reel-to-reel projector? Any of you seen that? All right. And for the younger generation, how many of you have seen your teacher pull out something and show it on a projector screen like these? Yeah. Okay. Doesn't that cover just about everybody? Visual aids help. I used to love that because I'd get a quick nap and maybe if I saw one of the film strip t- t- teachers all over, I'm sorry, y'all. Just every, when you cut the lights out, what do you expect us to do? But anyway... Film strip starts up, I get a quick nap, and I get a visual that if I see any of it, it sort of sticks better, right? So I'm going to give you a visual. Have y'all got those ready for me, Chris? So I want to show you a picture of somebody here. Chris, show that first picture if you can get it up. All right. Happy fella, right? I'd say he's a happy chap because he's wearing a bowler, so he must be English, right? So how many of you would prefer to sit and hang out with this guy or... Let's go to the next one there, Chris. Or... This next guy. Man, that looks like some of the deacons, don't it, Herbert? Don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. (laughs) I'm kidding. Y'all got a wonderful bunch out here, a wonderful bunch of deacons. But really, let's go back to the first one. So this guy or it's coming. He's coming. Nope, same bad guy. Uh, See, sticks with you. Just like the film strips at school. Or that guy. Which one? Honestly, which one? This guy or the other guy? You'd rather hang out with him? Why? Why? He looks happy. All right, well, let's move on. I got a picture of another sweet little lady here. Let's go to number three there, Chris. Because I don't want to leave my ladies out. Oh, Now, honestly, she looks like every sweet little lady I know. I mean, just something about those eyes looks so kind. 
She looks peaceful. Does she look like there's joy in her life? Oh, but look at the wrinkles. I mean, doesn't that show a few worry lines here and there? Or maybe smile lines. We don't know, but she looks joyful. So would you rather sit down and have coffee with this sweet little lady? Or how about number four, Chris? (laughs) This is Bertha better than you. (laughs) She exists in all of our churches, and it may be you. And if it is, fix it. Which one would you rather sit down and have a cup of coffee and a hot biscuit with? That first little lady that looks so peaceful, so joyful, or Bertha better than you? Which one? Her. I don't know what her name is. I'm going to call her Sassy. I'm telling you, she's gorgeous and she looks like she has joy. So you'd rather spend time, have coffee with her, right? Why? She looks happy. Folks, let's bring it down to where the rubber meets the road. You witness, I hope, every day of your life. And even if you don't intentionally witness, you are witnessing to who Christ is in your life every single day. And it's not a sales pitch. You can't sell a gift that is free. You can never sell salvation or Christ to anyone. However, you should be witnessing every single day, and you are by default, if you claim to be a Christian wherever you go. And do you think that people want anything to do with your Jesus if you look like Bertha better than you or that old chap that looked like he just sucked on a sour lemon? Really? I mean, if every little thing that comes along shakes your foundations and makes you look like that and you're walking around with a countenance that looked like somebody licked the red off your sucker, does anybody want anything to do with what you're trying to offer? Absolutely not. Oh, but if you're this sweet little lady, and you can go ahead and take her down. I'm going to get distracted looking at her, those pretty eyes. But if you look like this, or like that chap with the big old grin on his face, if you look like there is something deep-seated in you that the world can't shake, they might just want to know what in the world's going on. I remember seeing a Christian concert when I was a kid. It was David Meese. Many of you probably never even heard of him. But he opened up for this little lady named Amy Grant. And our youth group went to see him. And David Meese got up there on stage and he said, Golly, he said, I ain't singing to y'all. And I thought, well, heck, we paid good money for the tickets. Why not? He said, y'all look so sad and downtrodden. He said, we are children of the king. Where is your joy? He said, you ought to be so giddy, so joyful, that people are wondering if either you sabotage the cafeteria food or something's different about you. And then he stopped. He said, well, you don't have to sabotage the cafeteria food. They do enough, good enough job by themselves. He said, but my point is real simple. And I remember it to this day. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you have no right nor any valid reason not to have joy. And I didn't say happiness. Now, hear me clearly. I say this at my church often. My people know it. To make me happy, all I need is a Snickers and a Mountain Dew. I'm good to go. Good old sugar high. I'm happy. Problem with that is about an hour and a half later, I am crashing. The sugar just drops and I'm gone. I'm not happy anymore. I'm feeling bad and wish I hadn't done that all at one time. Especially when it's the king size and the 20 ounce. But, you know, (laughs) moderation, guys. But that's happiness. That ain't what I'm talking about. Happiness is affected by external circumstances, so it can be taken away by external circumstances. I don't want you to go away saying the preacher's preaching all week about how to be happy. I'm not worried about your happiness. 
It's temporary. And you'll find a way to be happy. Why? Because you're human. And you're going to find your own Snickers and your own Mountain Dews or whatever your flavor of the day might be. You don't need to be taught how to do that. You're going to do that, sometimes to your detriment. What I want to give you is something that is internal, given by the Holy Spirit, when you understand who He is, what He's done for you, how God loves you, how much He loves you, what He did to prove that love, what your future looks like. And because of that, it's internal, so deep that nothing else external can ever touch it or take it away that's what I want you to have and if you've got that you can walk up to somebody with that joy on your heart and face and guess what they're not going to try to get away from you as they would if you look like an old sourpuss like those two pictures I showed you I'm be honest with you folks I meet a lot of Christians that I truly wonder about their salvation and you say you can't judge me I'm not trying I'm saying I'm wondering wondering judging two different things look it up in Webster's but what I'm saying is I'm wondering about their salvation because they can't ever find a smile it's almost as if they smile their face would crack in half it's like come on you can do it I know you can look at y'all you're all grinning right now praise the Lord at least that gives me some indication that you've got something But when people look like they can't smile, there's nothing deep down inside I have to ask. Do you really know my Jesus? Because if you know my Jesus, you know nothing can harm you. And the worst that can happen to you is somebody to take you out. And all that does is open the door to glory. But we hold on to things here so tightly. We worry about death so much. We misunderstand it so badly that we let even the fear of that take our joy. Folks, there should be nothing that steals your joy. A merry heart, a cheerful countenance is your witness. Do you want people to know Jesus Christ because you exist? I hope every one of you say absolutely yes. You see, we're all supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. Doesn't it say that? Right there in 2 Corinthians 5.20. For we are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? An ambassador is someone who represents someone far greater and has a special message to share. We represent the greatest. We represent God here on this planet. While we're on this ball of dirt, our job is to represent Christ in a very real way. To be His hands and feet. How many times do you sit around and pray, God, please help someone to reach them with the gospel. Help someone to be able to make a difference over there. And all the while, God's saying, I did something. I am helping them. I put you here. He's saying, be an ambassador. You got my message. Just take it to them. You say, well, I'm not real good with words. One of the greatest evangelists I have ever known was John Gravitt. Some of you may have known John Gravitt. In his younger years, he was a rounder, and he said he drank enough alcohol to flood the entire Tar Valley. That's what he said. I never knew him like that. I met him in his older years. But he was a man who was grinning all the time, always pleasant, and always telling people what Jesus had done for him. But he would always tell me, he said, I, I can't talk real good, preacher. I can't talk real good, but I can tell him what Jesus done for me. I said, that's all he wants you to do. See, that's the message, that Jesus stepped into John Gravitt's life and took that desire for those things that were killing him, that gave him temporary happiness, and gave him joy. And it was real. Right to the day he died, it was real. And he shared that with people. That's all you got to do. You are ambassador for Christ. But if you come to someone with a negative message, if you come to them with a negative countenance, even with a positive message, do you think they're listening? No, not really. Because they don't see anything real in your life. 
Why would they want it? I'm not picking on anybody here, but I'm just going to ask you. How many of you would go to a gym and be led by a fitness trainer that weighs 600 pounds? Anybody? No. I I love 600-pound people. That's a whole lot to love, but I love them. But I would not assume that they could tell me how to get more healthy. Say, boy, are you going to talk about fat? No, I'm not going to talk about fat. That's it. Just making an analogy, and it'll stick with you. Now somebody's going to go home, Herbert, and say, Preacher said I was fat. (laughs) I intentionally just looked over top of all your heads so you could not say that. My point is this. If people can't trust that what you're trying to bring into their lives is real because they see no evidence in your life, why bother? You see how serious it is? So as you look at those pictures, which one were you? Bertha better than you or that pleasant little lady? Bringing joy to someone's life, a merry spirit, a joyful countenance, that giddiness that comes from truly knowing Christ that they want to talk to or sit down and have a conversation with. Or, fellas, are you the one that was granted from ear to ear that looked sort of silly, really? We know which one Herbert is, but I mean, what about y'all? Or the guy that looked like he's just mad at the world. Which one? Which one are you? Second Corinthians chapter 2, if you will, tonight. Second Corinthians chapter 2, if you want. How about that? No, Second Corinthians chapter 2. Look at two simple, simple verses that really drive this point home. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he writes to them, they're in a pretty tough situation. They're living in a big city. And the church is trying to determine whether it's really going to be the church or whether it's going to compromise with the world. I've said it many times. We should never, as the church, compromise with the world. Amen. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His Word is. Amen. We don't have to adjust to fit the world's need or culture. We just don't. God always expects to look down into the world and see the church, but he never wants to look down into the church and see the world. Don't compromise. Don't ever. And you stand behind leadership that says we will not. Do it and watch God bless you. But he's working with a church like this, and he says this, for we are. There's no maybe here. This is an, this is just definite. We are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that are perishing. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Let me break it down to you in plain modern day English. That's the King Jimmy version that I happen to just love. Such poetic language. But what he's saying is, you either are a sweet smell of Christ in the life of people you are around, both believers and non. So in the life of a believer, are you that encourager? Are you that Barnabas? Are you that person that lifts them up? Or are you that person that drags them down and depresses them even worse? And in the life of those that are perishing, are you the fragrance of Jesus Christ in their life? Does the joy and the reality of Christ in your life shine through so much that they cannot help but to see, feel, taste, smell Jesus Christ and want it so badly? I tell you, I was hungry when I got here, y'all. 
I was. And you've heard the old joke, a belt for a preacher is nothing but a chicken corral. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth when I hit right there. I knew there was chicken in there. And I couldn't wait to get a hold of a chicken leg. And then my wife made it even better. She comes and gets that bottle of Texas Pete out of her pocketbook and it was on. (laughs) You see, you really aren't supposed to eat the gospel bird without hot sauce. But y'all do what you want. But she carries that for me, and she went and got it. And I, I tell you, when I hit here and I started smelling, I, I, did, I realized at that point how hungry I really was. It smelled great. I could remember in my mind how good it was. And then your mouth starts watering a little bit. And then peristalsis starts. And for those of you who have no clue what I'm talking about, your stomach starts growling. Stomach starts chewing on your backbone, and you hear those little gurgling noises. It smelled great. And when I got in there and got a hold to it, it tastes great. That poor chicken, he made the ultimate sacrifice so I could be satisfied. And I'm telling you, if it's some here tomorrow night when the youth feed us, I'm eating it again. I just, I feel like God put chicken here for preachers, brother. I do, but all kidding aside, you know what I mean. Think of your very favorite food right now. Maybe it's cheesecake. Maybe it's Krispy Kreme donuts. Who knows? Whatever it is, think of your favorite food right now. In your mind, you're thinking of how good it tastes, how sweet it smells, how much you're going to enjoy it, how much you want some more. Do you bring Christ into people's life in such a way that they want it so badly? It's saying that right there. Paul's saying you either are the savor, the smell, the existence of, of encouragement and Jesus Christ in people's lives, or you're the savor of death. Now, I don't have to ask for a show of hands which one you'd prefer to be. Bottom line is, I'm asking you, do you want to smell like Christ, or do you want to stink like the devil? I fear that a lot of professing Christians stink like the devil. Because I get to rub elbows with them all the time. Some in leadership. Some who teach Sunday school, I'm not picking on anybody here or my church. I'm just not. I'm just saying. I get to rub elbows with a lot of people. I walk into churches even to do revivals sometimes, and I truly feel like I just invaded somebody's private club and that they don't even want me there. I've felt it. I've sensed it. Missy and I have walked into a church on the first night of revival and known from that very moment that if anything was to happen, it would have to be all the Holy Spirit because the people were cold And indifferent. And there was nothing about them in a church that felt like, smelled like, looked like Jesus Christ. I am grateful to be at Theresa Baptist Church. When Herbert asked me, I said, absolutely. He said, well, what about some dates? I said, that'll work. Absolutely. I couldn't wait. Because you folks smell good. You folks smell good. You are the savor of life and encouragement. You don't stink like the devil. But there are times when all of us lapse into a little bit of stinkiness, don't we? Now, you can go back and tell people that. Preacher said, I stink sometimes. Be careful, though, because if you're around an honest friend, they're going to say, well, he has a point. 
But this is serious business, guys. Do you realize that everywhere you go, you are witnessing whether you mean to be or not? And you should mean to be. You should be intentional about taking Jesus Christ into other people's lives. How sorry would it be for you to be able to taste the best chicken leg you ever ate in your life and not to want to share that with somebody else? We do that, don't we? When you find a good restaurant, what's the first thing you do? You go tell a friend or a family member, man, you've got to go down there and eat. They got the best fill-in-the-blank you ever had. I went somewhere the other night. I'd never been before. Heirloom. And they had something on the menu. We were doing a wedding rehearsal dinner. And it said, paper bag chicken. All I needed to see was chicken. (laughs) I got it. I pulled it out of the paper bag and went at it. And I'm telling you, you ought to go try it. You know how to feel the same way about Jesus Christ. How is it that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, as the Scripture says, and yet we don't want to share that, but we'll tell somebody about some meal that's going to be gone within 24 hours and you've got to redo it. Jesus, you don't have to redo, folks. It's eternal. That's the beauty of it. And with Jesus comes joy that should show, and we should want to share it. So everywhere you go, you should be intentional. And as you share, make sure that people see that it's so real in your life that they said, i got to get me some of that. Be radical for Jesus. My amen sister back there, the first thing I asked her when I got here, I said, girl, you still got your amen? She said, I do, amen. (laughs) And I'll guarantee you, if I know church folks, it's some of y'all that she aggravates with that. (laughs) Look, look, she knows that she's nodding her head. Look, don't you stop that amen. I know there's joy in your heart. Either that or you crazy. I don't know which one. But uh, but you know, if I'd been hanging around with Norma Kucha that long, I'd be crazy too. But the truth is, folks ought to look at you and know something is different. Or either think you're crazy and when they say, bless their heart, you say the Lord already has. Man, can they see it in you? Why are we so downtrodden? Why are we such poor ambassadors for Christ when we have got the best thing in the world to offer? It's time we started offering it up everywhere we went. But you need a smile because the package matters. The package matters. People want to know what you're offering done something for you. Don't offer somebody a vitamin if you look like you're about to fall out. In John 15, 11, Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you that your joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You see, the reason we're downtrodden, the reason our joy doesn't show, the reason we're such poor ambassadors is focus. We are focused on the wrong thing. How many of you take in hours and hours of news broadcast day by day? Or can't do anything but read the next magazine or paper with nothing but negativity about what's going on in the world. What do you expect? If you are doing that all the time and watching the devil's broadcast, in most cases, and seeing what he's good at, instead of focusing on this or focusing on something positive of the Word of God, then you've got to understand there's going to be some level of negativity and worry and distress in your life at all times. But if we just focus on the right things, 
So what do we need to be focusing on? Jesus says this, These things I have spoken unto you that your joy might be full and that it might remain in you. Now, if Jesus felt like our joy needed to be full, which means full, fancy Greek word for full, our joy should be full and overflowing. Your cup may not be but a 16-ounce cup, but Jesus ought to be pouring out into the saucer because 18, 19 ounces are coming in daily. Your joy should be full. And it should remain. It should stick with you. If Jesus said that, do you think it's important? You think He wants you to be joyful? I'm certain of it. He said, I said all of these things so that your joy might be full. Now let me just give you a little background. At that time, and see if this sounds familiar. As He's writing this, there in John 15. He's writing this and saying this to people where the whole world is being ruled by a ruthless Roman Empire. Who absolutely hated them. The government was corrupt. Sound familiar? Taxes were through the roof. Yeah, come on. Freedom of religion and freedom of speech was non-existent. Christians were barbecued on stakes at people's parties at this time in history just for being Christians. And yet Jesus said, I write these things to you so that you might have joy and that it might be overflowing and that it might remain with you. So I'm going to tell you something. If the government was corrupt, taxes were awful, freedom of speech and religion were on the line and really didn't exist anymore, and Christians were under fire and persecution, perversion was being promoted, not only allowed, but promoted immorality reigned and it was going on in so-called temples, if that was going on and they could have joy, you know what, we can too because we're living in the very same time several thousand years later. Every bit of what I just said happens right now. And if he wanted them to have joy and be overflowing and he thought that they could do it, we can too. So then what was it he said? He said, I said these things that your joy might be full and remain in you. What was it he said? Focus on me. We're going to get into that more deeply this week. But that's that passage where he says, I am the vine, and you're simply the branches. And if you will stay connected to me, guess what? You're going to be all right. I want you to think about some good old muscadines or scuppernongs. Man, I've eaten enough of them to kill me. And if any of y'all got any extra, just let a brother know. I love them. I can remember getting under the grapevine at home and just sitting there and eating them till my tummy hurt. But what I learned as a kid, nobody had to teach me this. If I pulled a bunch off and hid it behind the smokehouse and went back the next day, they weren't quite the same. They weren't quite grapes and they weren't quite raisins and they really were not good. Why? Because I had taken them from the source of life. If I picked them too early, they didn't grow anymore. Or if I picked them and left them behind the smokehouse, they dried up, withered away, and they were awful. Jesus said, I wrote these things that if you would focus on me and stay connected to me, your joy will be real, it's going to be overflowing, and it will stick with you even in the worst of times, just like 2017 in America. Folks, I'm going to give you a flip side of all of that. We live in a time where the government is corrupt, immorality, and perversion is encouraged. We live in those times of Isaiah where what is right is being called wrong and what is wrong is being called right. It is the reality of where we are. It's crazy what we're seeing. Whoever thought we'd be having some of the discussions we now have about restrooms and all kinds of other things. 
It's foolishness. It's the devil doing what he does best. Freedom of religion no longer exists unless you happen to be a Muslim. It's okay to say amen. It's true. But let me tell you something else. There's still reason for joy. It's a matter of focus. Did you realize that since 2000, more Muslims are coming to Christ at a faster pace than they have in the history of the Islam nation? Did you know that? I highly encourage you to go grab a book by David Garrison, and it's named A Wind in the House of Islam. He says in this book, and I quote, We are living in the midst of the greatest turning of Muslims to Christianity in all of history. Reason for joy, isn't it? We tend to think Muslim, think horrible, think, oh my God, I want them to die. They are human beings with souls. What we should want is for them to come to Christ and live. And since 2000, we have witnessed more at a faster pace come to Christ than ever in the history of the entire religion. Reason for joy. It's a matter of focus, isn't it? So rather than sitting around worrying about them coming in the back door, pray that they come to know Christ. And if they do come in the back door, start witnessing real quick. Hopefully they'll be a part of this trend that's happening. Telegraph Magazine also reports that churches in China and the church at large in China is growing so fast that it has been projected that by 2030, Christianity may be the religion of the nation of China. Have you seen that on the news anywhere? You're looking at the wrong news. It's a matter of focus. That's big news. Think about this. China and all of its financial and political impact in the world today, think of the implications if by 2030 they are a Christian nation. Good gracious. They might even start making decent products that we can import in here if we've got to import something. Another story, another time. This is not a political comment. What about this one? Latin America is experiencing a huge spiritual and political awakening right now. Now, there's a lot bad going on in Latin America, and that's what you're hearing on the TV But there's also a huge political and spiritual awakening taking places in many Latin America countries. You see, they're not like America. These countries are populated in a way that we couldn't imagine. These people are living 50 to a little hut at times. It's a very populous area and there is a huge awakening happening. And even here in our own country, if I were to ask most of you, What kind of condition you think we're in? Boy, you would go straight to the doom and gloom and you'd tell me just how awful we are. And I'll admit to you, there's a lot of bad things happening. But did you realize, and this is again, I am not supporting a political party or political politician. I'm just telling you the facts. Did you realize that even here, we have the most evangelical presidential cabinet that we've had in more than a 100 years? That's a start. It's a start. And did you realize that in 40 state capitals there are weekly Bible studies and in the House and the Senate there is an evangelical Bible study going on weekly where at least a dozen of the President's cabinet members attend faithfully. You ain't going to get that on CNN, are you? That's good news though, folks. They meet weekly for Bible study. And you know who gets a transcript by request from every single Bible study that takes place with that group? Donald Trump. 
Now, I'm not telling you to like him, love him, lump him, or hate him. I'm just telling you, he requested the transcripts, and I'm telling you, if we are doing our jobs as the Scripture teaches us, instead of bashing him, or just like we wanted to do with all the other presidents we've had, let's just be real, we need to be on our knees praying that this man truly give his heart over to the Lord and things would turn radically. Amen. He claims some type of Christianity. Let's pray he get right. But these things are a start. Did you realize there is a church planting boom right here in America? If you talk to most Christians, they'll say churches are dying faster than we can rebuild them. It's not true. New church plants are popping up way faster than old churches are dying. And some of these old churches need to die because they're those churches where you walk in and you feel like you invaded a private club and nothing is talked about from the Word of God. It's just somebody's little club that they're trying to keep going until all of them's in the backyard with a big old piece of granite on top of them. So I'm not saying it's a good thing for any church to die, but I'm saying if it ain't a true church, let it go. New church plants are coming up all over the country faster than the old ones are dying out. And do you realize 60 to 80% of the people joining these new churches were previously unchurched at all? Absolutely, praise the Lord. There's reason for joy, folks. It's a matter of focus. If all you're taking in is the negative, of course you're going to be downtrodden and it's going to make you a poor witness and it's going to make you a poor ambassador for Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to be culturally relevant and understand what's going on. You need to be informed. But remember, what matters most is what God's doing. Not little skirmishes that the devil's winning, but the big battles that God is asking you to be a part of. Amen. And, that's, and then there's the obvious stuff. I said it in my prayer earlier. Is God still on the throne? Yes. Will anyone ever dethrone him? See, that's the beauty, folks. Yesterday, my team lost, and I'll just go ahead and confess it. You can boo me if you want to. Y'all can boo me if you want to. Tar Heels blew it, and you Dukies won one. Congratulations to all the Duke and congratulations to State. They really done it. We get all up in a roar about the sports, don't we? So y'all didn't know it. I was in a mixed marriage. Yep. Missy, my first wife, she's a Duke fan. I couldn't believe you didn't introduce me. It is her as my first wife, but she's a Duke fan. But now that our son's going to Carolina, she's a Carolina fan now, right? You're high. Come on, say it, baby. But, you know, think about it. Now, we have a friendly rivalry here that sometimes ain't so friendly. Sometimes people get real serious about that thing. Let's think about winning. Let's think. It feels good to win, don't it? You love it when your team wins. I sure do. I'm right in the middle of it yelling, Tar Heels. But the team that we're really playing for is God's team. He's undefeated. And that will always be true. If you Forget all the other stuff I said about how Muslims are coming to Christ, about how churches are popping up everywhere, about how people are becoming church that have never been church before. That's good stuff. That's reason for joy. But even if none of that existed, God is still on the throne. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Nobody. The only thing you can lose is your life, and then you gain eternity, which is real life. That's reason for joy. God's still on the throne. He's still undefeated, and he always will be. We're on the winning team. We don't have to wonder. You know, if they were taking bets and odds on it, I guarantee you I'd place my whole life on the line with this one because I know how it ends. You should too. And I'm just going to tell you this. If there is a chance that some of you in here are not saved and don't belong to the Lord, man, what a good time to get on the winning team. Because I'm telling you, the other guy, he never really wins. 
The other thing you could do to find a little joy, other than focusing on the good things that really are happening all around you and realizing God's still on the throne and ultimately that's all that matters, is this. Count your blessings. How many of you woke up this morning? Raise your hand. I got a unanimous vote, brother. You need anything else? You all woke up this morning. Man, I, I, I was sitting there with my in-laws at, at Stewart's the other day, and we really don't do the in-law thing. So I was sitting there with Mom and Papa, and we were eating at Stewart's. And, and as we were, something popped up on my phone. I, I looked down, and it said this. It said, be thankful that you're growing older. You see, as Herbert said, my birthday was on Saturday. Thank you all for singing. That, that was just a precious gift. I'll never forget it. But it said, be thankful that you're growing older. This is a luxury not afforded to all. Man, that thing hit me. I even spoke it out loud. And it takes a lot for me to stop eating my chicken. I done told you that. (laughs) Be thankful that you're growing older. It's a luxury not afforded to all. You got nothing else. You woke up this morning. That's reason for joy. God decided this morning, hey, I still need them for a little bit longer. You still got a pulse up here in that neck. He ain't done with you. And it's quite likely that if you're still here and you got up this morning, the best is still yet to come. I got to pause for a second. Bye, son. Bye, Carrie. (laughs) Speaking of Carolina, he better get his hiney back quick. (laughs) They do lock the gates, yes. But God said, you know, I'm not done. That's reason for joy, folks. That's reason enough that you have one more day and hopefully many more. We must focus on the things that God is doing. That God wants to do. What God has done. And what can never be taken away. If we are to truly be those people that others want to be around. And want to hear about our Jesus. Folks if you know the good news of Jesus Christ. You will be a person of joy. You say but you don't understand what I'm going through. I don't need to. He does. That's the point. He does. And he's bigger than whatever it is. And here's what I know. All things work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You know who that is? That's me and you. If you belong to God, all things... This wrong, hey, look, I didn't make it up. It's right there in the book of Romans. Romans 8.28. Read it. Make it yours. All things. Even whatever horror you may think you're experiencing right now, all things are working together for the good of those, you and I, who are called according to His name and for His purpose. That's reason for joy. Grab it back from the devil who has been deceiving you and lying to you and cheating you of your joy for so long and refocus on what matters. You can't lose. You're still alive. And when you ain't, you live forever. I mean, I could just go on. Have I beat this to death yet? We could be much better witnesses, much more worthy ambassadors of the good news of Jesus Christ. So I beg you to join me the rest of this week as much as you can as we refocus on those things which will bring us real joy. And if perchance you can't be back any other night, here's the cliff notes. Focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on Him. Stay connected to the vine. Be the branch that is connected to your source of strength, power, and joy. And watch how it will change you. And don't lose sight of that. 
I'm going to share this tomorrow, but a little acronym that my son shared with me when he was probably about five years old. And I don't know if he heard it somewhere or he came up with it. I don't know. But he looked at me and he said, Daddy, I know what joy is. I said, what is it, little rooster? He said, it's joy, J, Jesus, O, others, and Y, you. I said, what's that mean? He says, well, you look at Jesus first, and then you worry about others, and then you worry about yourself. Out of the mouth of babes. It's so true. doesn't matter who said it, where it came from. That is so true. Folks, if you can't be back the rest of the week, focus on Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, who he is, and how this all plays out. And you ought to be grinning from ear to ear like the Cheshire cat. And if you do, people are going to want to know what in the world's wrong with you. And you tell them nothing, everything's right. Father God, thank you for a joyful people. And I pray that their joy would be more full by the end of this week. I pray that it is already. I pray that these folks will be so full by the time we're done that they are drinking out of their saucer, God. You said that you wanted our joy to be full and overflowing. May it be like the psalmist in our lives that we remember, as David did in Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. We are so blessed. And even if we didn't have all of the blessings you've given us, we've got the truth, the reality that you are still on the throne, you are still on our team, and that we can never be defeated. Better yet, we're on your team and can never be defeated. And God, I pray that we would get real about this and understand this is not just a series of messages. You expect this of us. And if we expect to be a witness that matters at all, a good ambassador for you, we are going to have joy and it's going to show. And we're not going to let every little thing knock us off our foundations. We're not going to let all the garbage that the devil's doing around us make us lose focus on who you are. Lord, Peter was doing all right when he stepped out into the storm until he looked at something else. Help us to quit looking at the storm and look at the master of the storm. Look at the one who can take care of everything. And then we can worry about other things. And then we can worry about ourselves last. And if we do that, God, we're going to have joy. And people are going to want what we've got. Bless these people, God. Give them the means, the way, the time to be here through this week as we dig into your word even more so. And get back to a life of living joyful Christian realities. I beg it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.